Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Go to financialsurvivalnetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly news. Newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next. And welcome. You are listening to the Financial Survival Network. It's Carrie Lutz getting over this nasty cold. And unfortunately, the economy seems to be contracting pneumonia while I'm getting over my cold. But hey, there is a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel. We just can't see it, and I don't think we'll be able to see it for a while. But John Rabino's got lots of good news to talk about, and happy Monday, John. Happy Monday, Carrie. I don't know about the good news, though. <laughs> it, most of the news has been very bad the last um, week or two. And let's let's begin with Europe, where the, the uh, parachutings was the, uh, the big story of the previous week, and it's still going. You know, Belgium um, is now the focus of the hunt for would-be terrorists, and Brussels is basically shut down right now. Uh, cops on all the street corners, um, most stores and shops closed, the streets are relatively empty, and um, they, they haven't yet found the guys they're looking for, and that assumes that the guys they're looking for are um, the only ones that they should be looking for. And right now, when, when you're talking millions of possibilities in a place as big as uh, Europe in general and, and Brussels in particular, uh, it's not clear that anybody knows who's out there still planning new attacks or whatever. And, and this is going to go on forever. You know, Europe is basically full of people who would, in one way or another, like to lash out. So these guys have a, an, an ongoing problem between the, uh, the immigrants of the last few years and the Syrian refugees that are pouring in. And it's not clear how they fix it. But what is clear is that uh, the Paris shootings in the aftermath play into the hands of anti-immigration political leaders. Um, National Front in France. Mm-hmm just got stronger. They were already rising in the polls. And um, they are a, a very nationalistic, anti-Euro, anti-immigration party that is drawing a lot of support now, and more so in the wake of the shootings. And here in the U.S., Donald Trump's um, poll numbers <laughs> jumped. They were already pretty high, and they, yeah. they jumped after the Paris shootings because he is saying things like, oh, we'll put a wall up here and we'll ban immigration there and, and uh, we'll set up a database of Muslims. And, and you know, the, this is the kind of thing that um, probably is not doable in the real world, but that sounds good to people who are very worried about what's going to happen in the short run. So you're, you're seeing a, a political backlash against the mainstream political parties as a result of this. And it's not clear where this ends either, because it's not at all clear that the Paris attacks are the end of the uh, the story, that, uh, that that's the last attack that's coming, because it's just really easy to hit these soft targets. You know, if anybody who's walked into a, um, a football game or gone into a nightclub knows lately knows that it's pretty easy to walk into these places. They're they're made to be welcoming. 
And so if you want to go there and cause some kind of trouble and you don't care what happens to yourself afterwards, it's really easy to do. So we've got a world of soft targets out there that can be exploited by suicide bombers and uh, and people like that. So this is a, a real sea change coming in security policy now to deal with this. And again, it's not clear where it leads, but um, it has to lead to a world that's very different from the one we're used to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. Um, yeah, Trump uh, has gone up and really all these uh, nationalistic parties, they're all on the ascension now because it's not just the immigration terrorist thing. It's the failure of these governments to lead and to uh, have a positive outcome, to be successful. And that, I think, is the biggest uh, the biggest thing. It really is, because failure of government to perform its, its functions, and the most basic function is protecting its inhabitants from threats within and without. And when you see what's happening here, it really shouldn't be a surprise to you, should it? Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've been messing around in the Middle East for the last 30 years, the U.S. in particular, but Europe's been playing along here. And uh, it's, it's our fault to a great extent that that region is is so unstable. Uh, and so it shouldn't be a surprise that there's blowback, you know, that, uh, that, that we're suffering for our past policy mistakes. But at the same time, we're at the end of a, a really long, historically huge debt binge in which we've, the, the developed world's governments have been borrowing more and more money each, each year and encouraging the private sector to borrow more and more money. And we've reached the seeming end of that process. And so these governments that uh, for 30 or 40 years now haven't had to prioritize, they just spend money on whatever it takes to get reelected and to stay in power. Uh, these governments don't really have the intellectual and emotional tools to uh, to start prioritizing when we start running out of money. You know, they don't know how to say no to people and they just keep on doing what they've been doing in the past because that's all they know. And so they they seem incredibly ineffectual now because their old tools aren't working anymore and they haven't come up with new tools. And it's not clear that the new tools would actually work in any event because we just flat out owe too much money. And uh, and so you're seeing that around the world. Governments just don't look like they know what they're doing because the results they're getting from doing the same thing over and over again aren't what they used to be. You know, you can, uh, you can make the case that the whole world is kind of rolling over right now. You know, um, you look at Japan, they've had the easiest money that anybody's ever had, the um, the fastest increase in government debt that anybody's ever, uh, outside of China, that ever that anybody has ever undergone. And they're back in recession. You know, they're, they've had two quarters of negative growth. And meanwhile, government debt continues to soar and the population continues to age. Um, that That's a recipe for a financial disaster out there somewhere. And it's becoming clear to people that that's the case. You know? And then you look at um, Brazil, for instance, which was the Latin American oh, yeah. shining star there for a while. You know, they were the Latin American country that got it right. And they're collapsing. Their, their next quarter looks like it's going to be one for the record books. They're just falling apart. Um, China's steel industry. There, there was just a headline last week. China's steel industry peers into the abyss as output plunges. And basically what they did was they, they built productive capacity in a lot of basic industries that is way out of line with global demand. Now that China isn't the driver of global demand. And so they're seeing a lot of the debt that's related to that blow up. A lot of plants have to close, people be laid off. And then so their economy is starting to contract now, no matter what they say about their top line number. You know, they report positive GDP. Uh, but meanwhile, 
trade is contracting and a lot of their basic industry is falling apart. And uh, so the real numbers that can't be fudged are looking decidedly negative in China. And the Middle East, of course, is on fire. And Europe, by implication, is uh, is also on fire now. You know, the, there, there's no real solution to Europe's problems because they borrowed way too much debt and they've got the same demographic problems as as Japan in a lot of ways, where the, uh, the native population is shrinking and they're instead of um, just letting it happen the way Japan is doing, they're bringing in a lot of immigrants, but the immigrants aren't assimilating. And so they've got the whole melting pot that's not melting problem going on in terrorism. And, and you know, it's not clear how anybody fixes their problems out there. And so, of course, it makes the governments look really ineffectual because um, the guys in charge now are stuck with the, uh, the policy mistakes of the past, the results of those policy mistakes, and they don't have any tools to fix them. And the U.S., you know, last but not least, we've um, been growing, quote unquote, for a few years, but it's largely because we've been adding a lot of bartenders and waiters while we've been um, laying off manufacturing workers. So now um, the, the service industries in the U.S. are huge relative to manufacturing, which means we're cutting each other's hair and serving each other drinks. And and, uh, and that's basically it in a lot of ways. So we're not a healthy society either. And, you know, if you look at corporate sales, for instance, which are going down versus employment, which is supposedly going up, you see a conflict here because those numbers usually track each other pretty closely. If corporations are seeing rising sales, they hire more people and vice versa. Well, that's apparently not the case based on the top line numbers. But what's really happening is that corporate sales are going down. So they're firing their full-time people and hiring part-time people. Uh, but the government counts a part-time job the same as a full-time job, so it looks like employment's going up, but it's not actually going up in the sense of us adding good new jobs. What we're doing is adding crappy jobs and, uh, and getting rid of the last remnants of our good jobs. So under the surface, we're in kind of the same boat as Europe, Japan, and to an extent China, in the sense that uh, the, the strong parts of the economy are largely shrinking while the weak parts are growing, but that doesn't fix anything. And we've got a reckoning out there somewhere soon too. So uh, 2016 is going to be a fascinating year and not in a good way. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. Unless you're a waitress or a bartender, then I think it's going to be a banner year for you, John. Yeah, maybe as long as we keep drinking and eating out, you know, and, and but see, that comes to an end pretty soon too, Carrie, for, for one reason or another, either we who are not waiters and bartenders run out of money and stop going out to drink and start doing our drinking at home or technology comes along and starts replacing a lot of these service jobs that's happening now. And to the extent that minimum wages go up and uh, and workers at places like McDonald's are able to lobby for higher pay, which they are, you know, Walmart and McDonald's are, are increasing the pay of a lot of their workers. Uh, that accelerates the process of automation. And, you know, you can do it. You can automate bartending oh, did you and see that? waitressing and things like that like that. And, and uh, it, it's coming. These things get cheaper year after year after year. So to the extent that the cost of waiters and bartenders goes up, those lines are going to cross in the not too distant future. And we're going to automate our service industries. And then what? <laughs> it's not clear what happens after that. Everything gets cheaper. Hey, did you see that burger machine, by the way? Mm -hmm. It uh, does 360 burgers uh, an hour. It will even custom grind the meat. So if you want like uh, half bison and half pork, although why you would, I don't know, you can get it. And the thing is like it takes up 24 feet and gets rid of like three employees. 
And like you said, this is where it's heading in the service industry. The first place I saw this, John, was at Chi Chi's, uh, not a place I usually go, but somebody I was meeting insisted we go there. You ordered your food with an iPad. The server brought your food and dropped it off, uh, asked you if you wanted anything else. And I guess special orders are difficult. And then when you're done, you just swipe your card. The thing even tells you how much you should uh, tip. And it, it was amazing. I hadn't seen it before. I was in another restaurant uh, the other day, and they had the same systems. So that's cutting down on the number of people and making them more productive in you know, the wait staff at restaurants. Not a good sign for these guys. Yeah, you know, one of the original fast food places was called the, an automat, I which remember. was basically a big, huge wall of vending machine type <clears throat> windows where you just picked what you wanted on your own and then paid for it in a really convenient way. And we're coming back to that now, but, uh, but with artificial intelligence, you know, where, like you said, you just take care of it all yourself in a very clean, simple way. And, uh, and it's much, much cheaper and you have more control over the process. You know, you don't have to wait to get a hold of a waiter and, and maybe the, they're too busy and they don't see you. And there's none of that now in what's coming. And the same thing is true in, for instance, clothing stores where uh, you, you now do a lot of your, your ordering via an iPad or some other kind of terminal. And the, you know, the clothes show up in the changing room. You try on what you like. You put uh, what, what you decide to buy in one bin. It's taken over to uh, a desk where it's packed up and given to you and you pay with a credit card. And, and there again, that you don't need individual salespeople to the extent that you, you have in the past. And so, yeah, a, a lot of the, um, the service side of the world is going the way of um, factory life now where, you know, at an Amazon's factories in their warehouses, especially um, you, you have just a few people managing a whole bunch of robots. <clears throat> and that's going to be true in um, a lot of the service industries now going forward. Yeah. I think we'll still have to get haircuts from humans. <laughs> Don't be but so sure. That's, that's almost it. <laughs> hey, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. If they're working on the cure to baldness, all right. And they're going to have it soon. They've got some kind of pill in, um, in England. You have to take it for the rest of your life, but it will grow your hair back. So maybe it's a good time to start investing in haircutting establishments. What do you think? Maybe. Yeah. It, it just grows the hair on your head though, right, Carrie? Yeah. This well, is no. Okay, I mean, good. I don't know. I haven't I, I tried know, it. I, I can't tell you. I don't know how it can be that selective, but it's good to hear that it is. But yeah, um, <laughs> that might be one of the few service places that, uh, that still use humans. 20 yeah. years hence. Um, but I don't know. Can, the question is, can we afford to pay a human to cut our hair at some point? Or is that going to be a home thing like it used to be? Remember sh uh, sugar bowl haircuts? No, no, I heard about them, but I never had one. <laughs> I had never had one. Thank goodness. I had curly hair. When I had a lot of hair, it was always curly. So that wouldn't have worked too good for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, you know, it's a, uh, in the one sense, in one sense, it's it's a really exciting world because artificial intelligence is going to take over so much of the drudgery of life. And 
for the people who can afford it, life is going to get very easy and, and very interesting. But for the vast bulk of people who used to supply those services, there, there's this transition coming. And it, if technology eliminates jobs faster than technology gives us new jobs, then it's not clear how we get through the transition because who pays the taxes, who pays for the welfare benefits and the transition benefits for people that um, that are temporarily at least thrown out of work by this stuff. And see, this is coming at a time when we're already broke functionally around the world. So it really isn't clear how this works out because even in the absence of automation, we still have this gigantic financial crisis coming just based on the amount of debt that we're taking on. You know, we're, we're still, people may not realize this, but we're still borrowing at the same rate that we were borrowing in the middle of the last decade. You know, during the last credit bubble, right. it's now universally acknowledged that we took on way too much debt and it caused a, a huge crisis that almost blew up the financial system. Well, we're still taking on debt at that rate, maybe even a little faster than we were in the past if you accurately calculate debt by including unfunded liabilities of pension plans, for instance. Um, so our problems haven't gone away. They've actually been magnified. And in some cases, by orders of magnitude, you know, we are taking on insane amounts of debt by any historical standard. And that's before this wave of, optim or of uh, automation hits that is going to increase the demand for government services by people who are thrown out of work, you know, and, and really, it's just not clear how we get through this other than by some kind of massive devaluation. You know, we, we can't cover these bills with our currencies at their current valuation. And the only way historically countries have gotten out from under excessive debt um, has been to basically stiff their creditors by devaluing their currencies. So that's coming. But the difference this time around is it's going to be a global phenomenon rather than um, localized. You know, one country screwing up its currency and having to devalue versus the other currencies. Well, this time it's everybody having to devalue at once because we're all grossly over indebted. So um, Jim Rickard's currency war is really in full swing right now. Historians are going to date the beginning of the currency war at some point in our past, not in our immediate future. And so it's, it's raging out there. And at some point, everybody's going to figure out that devaluing against each other is a zero-sum game because you only get a little pop in the short run before your trading partners respond in kind. And then you're the one who's disadvantaged and, and you have to respond in kind. And right now, the U.S. is losing the currency war when, when we think in currency war terms, because our currency is extremely strong relative to the others. Well, that's slowing us down. You know, you look at our manufacturing industries, they're shrinking. Housing, uh, existing home sales just went down and new home sales are, are down. And so a lot of the indicators of economic growth are starting to roll over in the U.S. And if we start trying to raise interest rates here in the near future, that's just going to exacerbate the process. Of, uh, of the U.S. economy shrinking because of a, a too strong currency. And so at some point, we're going to have to reverse course. And when we do, then we will disadvantage the countries that are just hanging on because their currencies are weak. And if their currencies get strong relative to the dollar, that'll push them over the edge. And so yeah. th there's this currency crisis out there. And it, it could easily be in two, 2016 because uh, so many things are coming to a head right now between um, slowing growth almost everywhere and soaring debt and the threat of terrorism and the threat of superbugs. Did we talk about superbugs, Gary, or was that no, before we, we uh, yeah, that turned on the, the mic? Yeah, yeah superbugs, right. Yeah, China, in China pig farms now, there is a kind of bacteria that's arising that's immune to everything. We can't kill it. And so 
they're finding it in the meat supply in China, which means it's going to find its way into the global meat supply and in factory farms everywhere in the not too distant future. And so if we start having diseases that used to be curable and are now no longer curable, what does that do to, for instance, global trade? Are we going to want people flying in from the, the places where these diseases have sprung up and are raging if they aren't raging here yet? You know, and does that... Um, increase the restrictions on travel and trade and, and uh, cause everybody to put up trade barriers in a lot of susceptible product lines? And does that slow growth even further? And I, I would say, yeah, <laughs> the rise of superbugs is, is uh, absolutely contradictory to free trade and free movement of of people across borders. So we got terrorism right now, which is a, a huge impediment to um, freedom of movement. And these superbugs, which are potentially a big problem for free trade, coming to a head at the same time debt is soaring and automation is coming online. And, you know, so there, there are so many problems out there that we are ill-equipped to deal with because we're so over-indebted that uh, I, I think it almost guarantees some kind of a crisis in the not-too-distant future. And it's really just a question of the shape the crisis takes. And that depends on chance to an extent. You know, is there a, another big terrorist attack yeah. first? Or does the outbreak of the superbugs spread from one country to another? And uh, does that become the dominant policy issue of the next year? Or does, uh, does the debt start to blow up on us? Right now, we've got oil patch junk bonds getting ready to blow up in the year ahead, unless oil goes back up to 60 or 70 or $80 a barrel, which it doesn't look like it's going to do because the supply demand balance is still so out of whack. Right now, we're, we're pumping too much oil and we're running out of places to store it. And historically, when, when you reach the limits of storage, the price has to go way down. You know, you, you get a, a, a discontinuity in price to cause people to start using more oil to free up storage space and cause people to take productive capacity offline. And so 2016 could also see something like that, where oil cracks from $40 to $20. Oh, and with all the dislocations that that implies, you know, if, if junk bonds were getting ready to blow up at $40 a pop, what does oil patch debt look like at $20, you know, and, and it looks ugly. <laughs> so well, the, at 40, the everything's point. blowing up anyway. I don't know what's left, but uh, hey, this is a, this is a really serious issue. And just because you're saving 40 cents a gallon or 50 cents at the pump, you don't begin to grasp the significance of it. Anyway, John, we got to run. Find John's work at dollarcollapse.com. Make sure you take a look at his book, buy it, The Money Bubble, that he co-wrote with uh, our good friend James Turk, who I, by the way, I met him for the first time in New Orleans uh, a couple weeks ago. John, great guy. And uh, hey, take a look at financialsurvivalnetwork.com and uh, Sign up for our newsletter, our last webinar on how to pay off your mortgage in five to seven years without really trying was a super hit. And John, we will talk to you next week. Thanks, Gary. See you next week. FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.